recorded here, and then we will get into our study. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. We will finish this, uh, this chapter uh, and this series this morning. And uh, I hope this has been a blessing to you. You've been encouraged uh, maybe even to look at this passage and even the letter to the church of Corinth in a different way than you have before. Uh, let me read the passage with you, and then I want to, then I'm, uh, with you, and then, then I want to share some thoughts with you this morning before we before we leave this building here together. Starting with verse 27 of chapter 12, here's what is recorded for us: it "says Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church: first apostles, second prophets, third teachers; after that, miracles; then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues." And he asks these questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. Now go down to chapter 13. And in two verses there, the first verse of chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now down to the 13th verse. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is what, church? Love. The greatest of these is love. There's a word that we use in our times um, that certainly doesn't have, not, does not have a positive connotation. The word is dysfunctional. Have you ever heard that word dysfunctional? Okay, we talk about that when we talk about families. We use that word when we talk about marriages. We use that when we talk about society as a whole. Uh, maybe our government, maybe leadership. Dysfunctional, dysfunctional. And times it's used to describe churches. Dysfunctional churches. And clearly, as I've studied and I've read here in 1 Corinthians and, and both of the letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinthians, he was dealing with dysfunctional people. Now, let's define this because the definitions mean a whole lot in consideration where we're going. Some people define dysfunction as a problems. Okay? Now, if dysfunctional is defined as problem, how many of us are dysfunctional? Okay. That's really not a good definition because problems are universal. Dysfunctional, I would define it as, as the, the, a, either a bad or an improper approach to dealing with problems. Since problems are universal, then the question becomes, how do we deal with problems? Yesterday I was privileged to join a young man and a, and a young woman in marriage, uh, two wonderful young Christian people who, whose testimony all throughout the, the wedding ceremony was just, just wonderful, just praising God and, and, and putting a focus on Him. Just a great time of celebration of, of these two coming together. But through the time of, of, of counseling, uh, we dealt more with, uh, with, Again, not the absence of problems, but how, do you, how, do, how does a young Christian couple deal or approach the problems that they will have in life? And since problems are universal, we must ask the same question. We don't want to be a dysfunctional church. And one of the first 
steps towards becoming a dysfunctional church is when a church begins to listen to other voices other than the voice of God. The voice of the Holy Spirit of God. See, Corinth had that problem. They had preferences and they began to listen to other voices. For some reason they began to believe that the wisdom that they needed to be the body of Christ that God had called them to be could be found elsewhere other than in the writings of the prophets or the writings of the apostles or the teachings of those that God had ordained to establish them as the church, as the body of Christ. So they, they either returned back to many of the pagan roots that they, had, that they had come from, and they began to define themselves and define their worship and define their walk in, as, as kind of a, a, a hybrid between their former pagan practices and, and pagan philosophies and this new philosophy that they merely had just, they felt comfortable just adding it to what they already knew. Now, Christ did not come just to add a new philosophy to our lives. Because apart from Christ, the Bible says that we are dead. We have no life in us apart from Christ. So Christ came to give us life, and as the scripture says, and life more abundant. He intended for us to live a life that was filled with his person, filled with his power, and filled with his presence. And that's what the church ought to look like. And that's what we ought to look like as the children of God as we live our life wherever God might take us throughout the week. Because you remember, we're not the church that just merely gathers for a week and, uh, for an hour and with me for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We are the church, we are the body of Christ that is, is to walk as the empowered people of God wherever God might take us and however God might des- decide to use us. And if that's not happening, listen, then we're not being the church. We're just being a religious group that gathers together, talks about things for an hour on Sunday morning, and then go on with our lives. That's not what God has called us to. That's what the world would define us as. And that would, that would label us as dysfunctional. Just like the church at Corinth was a dysfunctional body. When trouble happens, when problems come, when issues arise, God intends for His people to seek Him. God intends for us to hear His voice. And God intends for us to walk and to live and to make decisions not on our own, not based on the philosophies of the world, but based upon who He is. That we have such a, a relationship with Him that we, that we hear His voice as He speaks into our hearts and as He speaks into our situations. How desperately does Fountain Hills need Jesus? How desperately does Fountain Hills need A church that daily hears the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And that are not only listening, but who are following Him. Because church, I believe Jesus loves Fountain Hills. And I believe it's His intent to save scores of people here in Fountain Hills. But He has ordained that His church be a properly functioning body, biblically functioning body, that we might be used of Him to share that message wherever He would, wherever he would take us. Do you believe that? I hope that you believe that. So we've been in this 
chapter in the middle of this, this, these two letters here to the, churches, to the church at Corinth. And if you'll remember that Paul started by, by putting the attention and the focus back on the Holy Spirit of God. And he talked about the fact that, that within the church there were divisions and there was, there was schisms. And, 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 and he said there ought not to be this way. When the Holy Spirit is, in, is the focus of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is unified as Jesus prayed that we would be unified. But in that unity, he spoke to us also about the fact that there, are, in that unity there's a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of, of, of where God would have you and I function. We're not all the same. We're, we're actually, by design, we are different by, by God's design. But God also intended by that, that difference that there would be unity and there would actually be strength. In other words, that the body would actually begin to function as the body should function. But once again, men sort of change the focus from God to ourselves. And so men begin looking at each other and envy and jealousies creep in because, because men want, desire what someone else has or how, some, how, how God may be using someone else. And Paul reminds us, you know what, you need to be who God has created you to be because the church needs you to be who God has created you to be so the church can be one body functioning as God has called us to function. And as he closes out this chapter... In this letter, he drives us to an enormous truth that we cannot miss this morning. By the way, you'll, I hope you'll know that when Paul wrote this letter, it was one letter. There's no break between chapter 12 and chapter 13 in his letter. It flows seamlessly to bring us to a realization. We are reminded that God has a purpose for his church to be here. And that we need to be reminded that we cannot fulfill that purpose for God. Did you hear what I just said? We cannot fulfill that purpose for God. We fool ourselves if we think that we are here to fulfill God's purpose on our own. The only way God's purpose might be fulfilled through his body is when the Holy Spirit is empowering his body and God himself is working through his people to touch the world that he intends to touch. God has not called us, I've used this phrase many times, I hope you'll get it, God has not called us to a performance-based religion. Working harder, working smarter. It's not what it's about. It's about working from a place of surrender. Because the only one that can touch Fountain Hills is Jesus. The only one that can change this world that you and I have to deal with every day is Jesus, ultimately. So you say, what's our part? Our part is to respond to Him. Our part is to hear His voice. Our part is to walk as His people. And God has ordained the church. And I believe that with my whole heart. My faith in that has been challenged as of late. My faith in that God has ordained the church. I hear voices out there that says the church is, is kind of passe. 
Uh, people ought to just, just be meeting in their homes. People ought to be just doing their own little thing. Just read the Bible for yourself and, and come up with whatever you feel like you need to come up with. Well, again, you're a priest before God, and you are privileged to read the Bible for yourself. But one of the things that was intended from the establishment of the church is that we do gather together and we share these things. And we judge what is being said to make sure that it is, that it is a biblical truth. My faith has been challenged at times when I see bodies of Christ at each other's throats. Hating each other. Lying about each other. With no intention of reconciliation or love, but more intention of, again, people getting their own way. Creating schisms in the body of Christ. I think about a church right now, and I'm not at liberty to share with you, a church right now, where, where one person decided, one person decided that they didn't like the pastor. And so that one person has begun telling lies, and the pastor is gone. He's gone this morning. Now, he hasn't left the ministry. As a matter of fact, he's, he's meeting with a group of people this morning, he's preaching the word to them. Praise God for that. But it's a crazy thing how one people or a group of people can guide a whole body. It shakes your faith a little bit. There have been times when I've been tempted to just sort of cast it all to the wind. Not, no, you guys are too wonderful for me. Not there, there has. But many times when that has happened for me, God has driven me back to the stories of people like Moses. I'm no Moses, but my goodness, that man had it. And what I mean by had it, he had a group of misfits. And haters. But he had a call upon his life. Christ ordained the church. I want you to look at what he says at the beginning. He said, he said now, we are, verse 27, we are that body of Christ. The question, are we a good functioning body? Or are we a dysfunctional body? We are that body of Christ. And in that body of Christ, God has placed certain things in order that that body might be strong, that the body might be equipped, that that body might be everything that God intended for it to be. I hear people say, oh, I can do this on my own. I can be an island unto myself. And, and if you have to, you can. But that was not his intent. He intended for us to be a body, to be a part of one another, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to equip, to challenge at times, to correct at times. And so it says here in verse 28, he said, God has appointed these. God has appointed these. I read where pastors are passe now. Quotes. I hear of pastors. Quotes. As if there's no such thing biblically as pastors anymore. Everybody's a pastor. Everybody's a teacher. Well, not according to the scripture. And listen, this is hard for me to do sometimes because I'm, I'm the pastor. And I'm not trying to build up myself. Or, or, but what I want you to understand is, whether I'm the pastor or someone else is a pastor, God has appointed these in the body of Christ. He has a purpose. Are there bad ones? Certainly there are bad ones. Are there inept ones? Certainly there are inept. Do some have speech problems? Certainly some of them have speech problems. I've tried to share with you for the last eight years, at least from a personal basis, I'm on the same journey you are. 
and the struggles you have and the inadequacies you have and the shortcomings you have, I have those things too. We're on the same journey. We're the body of Christ. We're people of God together. We have different places of service because God has put us in those places. And we need to remember that God has appointed some things. And I'm convinced that what God has appointed, I don't, I'm getting a place where I don't care what someone else has to say about it. If God's appointed, that's what is. And if we stay in the Word and we stay the people of God, if they have a problem with that, they really don't have a problem with us. They have a problem with God's Word. And Paul reminds us that God has appointed these in the church. These things in the church. Some of them are positions. Some of them are giftings. But they are appointed by God. And I love to read this list here. You say, Pastor, when does the list stop? I don't believe the list stops until we get to heaven. Now, certainly they have been abused and misidentified and, and, and used for selfish purposes. But I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know where you stand on this, but if, I'm going to use a word. If you understand the word, then you probably have a standing. If you don't understand the word, then you probably don't even care. So, here's the word. Secessionist. Those who believe that the giftings and the work of the Holy Spirit kind of ceased at the first century when the canon was completed. If you don't know it yet, I'm not one of those. I believe the Holy Spirit is working. I believe He's alive. I believe He still gifts men and women and children and young people. He gifts them with what He has for them. In super, in a, and He wants to do it in a supernatural way where the message of Christ can get out into this world. Miracles have not stopped. The supernatural power of God has not stopped. How many of you are born again? How many of you have been born again in the last 60 years? In the, sometime in the last 60 years, how many of you have been born again? Now, would you agree with me that the apostolic age ceased sometime way before the last 60 years? Everybody got that? Would you agree with that? Nod your head. You do. Okay. Now, if that ceased sometime before that 60 years, I would say way, I'm talking about the apostolic, when the apostles were here to establish the church. And you were born again in the last 60 years. Are you telling me that you being born again is not a miracle? Are you telling me that you being born again is not a supernatural act of God? Well, you know, if, if those miracles have ceased, and if the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit has ceased, how were you ever born again? Well, Pastor, I just figured it out. <laughs> I'm smarter than other people. I'm more spiritual than other people. No, you're not. No, you're not. I burst some, bu- some balloons here today, or bubbles, or whatever you burst. You're not smarter. You're not more spiritual. By the way, you're not more special. Jesus not only died for you, the Bible tells me he died for all men. Amen? Amen. He died for all men. God's Spirit is at work. At least you can know this at work at that day He brought you to salvation. But church, I want you to know God's Spirit desires to be at work among those who are saved also. Why do you think Paul said, Do not grieve the Spirit of God? 
He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to believers. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit of God. Don't do things that pour. It's like, like a, a campfire where you take that big bucket of water and you, you douse that fire, that, that flame with water, and it goes out. And all you see, all you see is, the, is the steam and the residue from what was once a fire. And Paul says, don't do that to the Holy Spirit of God. Don't quench His work among you. He could if He wanted to overpower all of us and make us do all. But He doesn't work that way. God, in, God wants a people that are responsive to Him. So that He can show Himself mighty through His people. And He is ordained and He is set and appointed in the church. First apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings and, and health and administration. Variety of tongues. But listen to me. None of these exist from the apostle to the interpretation of tongues. None of these exist biblically apart from the, the active and intimate work of the Holy Spirit in that situation at that time. Now hear what I'm saying. When I say gifts of healing, or I say gifts of tongue, that, that's not something we parade around with with a badge on our, on our chest saying, look at me, I've got the gifts of healing. Most people who would put a badge on their chest and, and claim to have the gifts of healing, they, they, they can't heal anybody. Some of the greatest faith healers have spent a lot of time in the hospitals. Not healing people, but getting an operation. Having the doctors take care of them. Say, well, that's the way people are. What? Wait a minute. You just told me you have the gift of healing. You need to understand that not everybody who proclaims that these things are supernatural are supernatural. Many of them are fleshly and carnal. And one of the key indicators is if someone proposes to be something called of God and their message and their, 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 their ministry and who they are draws more attention to themselves than it does to Jesus there's a problem there yes. and if they claim that they are endowed with some uh, mystical or supernatural power that they walk around with dispensing there's a problem there these things don't come ever independent of, a, of the intimate and a personal involvement of the Holy Spirit of God he doesn't zap us with things and say, go get them. Doesn't matter what it is. I believe God has called, called me to be a pastor and a teacher. To proclaim the word of God. And I would confess to you in the 30-something years I've been a pastor, there have been several, if not many times, I have shared a message that came more from me than it came from my, from my time with the Lord. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from your Lord. I don't need to be your main teacher. The Holy Spirit needs to be your main teacher. Does He use men? Of course He does. But I don't want, I, I sincerely don't want to stand up here and give you a message that comes merely from me. Because when that happens, then just as the other guys that I just referred to, there's something desperately wrong. And in too many of our churches across this land, we're being, we're being driven to be impressed by the presenter 
of the message and his personality and, and his, his effectiveness and his charisma and all these kind of things. And we're missing something in the body of Christ. And it's from the very little churches that gather together to the smaller churches like ours would be considered to the medium-sized churches to the mega churches. It doesn't matter the size. When it's all about the man that stands behind the pulpit and everybody comes to glean from him, we've got a problem. Because the words that are shared and the words that are received will stop right there. And we'll walk out of the building and we'll be the same people we were when we walked in the building. When we come here to worship, I pray for the day when the Holy Spirit breaks loose in this place. I'm not looking for all kinds of manifestations. You know what I'm looking for? Changed lives. Changed lives. When we leave this building, we walk out of there under the power of God and in the power of God... And, and we can't help but share Jesus. Sometimes openly, verbally. Sometimes by giving someone a cup of cold water. Sometimes by feeding a, a, a homeless person. Sometimes by taking our enemy and sharing with them the love of Jesus. Forgiving one another. Loving one another. Being the body of Christ. I can't do any of those things. I don't even want to do any of those things in my own flesh. Only God can do those things. That's what it's all about. Yes, He's appointed different things in the church, but they're not the they're not what the church is about. They're the instruments of God that He might reveal Himself through His people to change the church. So that, they, so that the changed church can walk out in His power and touch a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus loves Him. That's how I want to see the Holy Spirit move in this church. I don't want to spin our wheels just being here. He has appointed these saints because He has ordained the church. I love this for... I, when I read the scripture and it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, He includes the whole world. And He gave His Son. And then He says that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, one day, by the grace of God, I believed in Him. So it becomes very personal. It goes from the world to the fact that, that, that I, ha- I, can have a per- I can have a personal relationship with God where my sins are forgiven and where I have eternal life. What a great thing God has done. But also the verse where we're reminded that, that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Christ died for me individually. Christ died for you individually. But Christ also died for the church and gave himself for the body, for his body, with the intention that his body would be empowered from, from the Holy Spirit of God. And walk as his body in his world in this world when he leaves or when he left. You see these things I have done, Jesus said. These things you will do, and greater than these you will do, because I go to my Father. Wow. When's the last time you saw something like that? You say, What's what's hindering? I am. 
Is it, is it blatant sin, Pastor? Well, maybe or maybe not. Is it, is it blatant disobedience? Maybe or maybe not. In most cases, people that are gathered here on Sunday morning, I wouldn't say it's, quote, blatant sin. I don't know. It could be. Or that it's blatant disobedience. I, 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 don't think, I, don't, I don't think you're here because you want to be blatantly disobedient to God. I, I don't believe that. So what stands in the way? Jesus, we, we love Jesus, don't we? We believe in God. We know that Jesus has, has saved us. What stands in the way? I am resistant to Jesus being Lord of my life and all that that could mean. Because what that will first do to me is that will have to move me out of my place of comfort and the things I like. And I will have to respond to life and people differently than I feel comfortable responding to them right now. We, if we're not careful, we look at other religious groups and we say, well, they, you know, that's just kind of what they believe and they, and they, they believe that and, and, they, and they live like everybody else. But, you know, that could be said about we Christians too. We have a set of dogmas and doctrines and we need them because they're the Word of God. But we believe them intellectually rather than believe them with our whole heart and submit ourselves. We resist the Holy Spirit. And God has called us not to do that. He intends for this church, because that's who we are. We're this church. He intends for us not to be dysfunctional any longer. Problems are going to rise, I guarantee it. They're going to come. But God has always given us a way to deal biblically with any problems that arise. So that His power might be manifest in his body. In verses 29 and 30, he asks some rhetorical questions. Because a dysfunctional group of people is a group of people that's filled with envy, jealousies, hatreds, and unforgiveness. And a dysfunctional group of people, particularly when we're talking about the body of Christ, is a group of people that focus upon themselves. And their desire to have a place that they feel they deserve in the body of Christ. So the desire becomes, I want the more prominent place. I want the more prominent gift. I want the more prominent manifestation. So everybody will see, basically, how special I am to God. So now, Paul goes into some rhetorical questions here. Now, what is a rhetorical question? See, you answer me. So this is not a rhetorical question, is it? Rhetorical question is a question that has an obvious answer. Everybody that thinks properly or correctly knows what the obvious answer is. I know a lot of rhetorical questions. I've said in class where someone, someone is a goofball, they just don't get it. They're thinking, I don't know where they're thinking at. So he asks some rhetorical questions here. And here's the question. Are all, a pro, are, excuse me, are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do not do all interpret? No. What's he trying to say there? Quit seeking after the things of God and listen to the voice of God. 
Because the Holy Spirit of God knows where you and I need to be in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can be everything that God intends for it to be. And you know what? It's okay if you're an ear and someone else is a nose. It's okay. That's a good thing. Someone walks in here with two noses one Sunday, you're going to take at least a double look at them, right? (laughs) It's okay. Not only is it okay, it's wonderful that it's that way. It's wonderful and it's the intent of God that we're not all the same. There are people in this church, and this is not a slam, there are people in this church that should never be teachers in this church. There are some of you that are teachers that need to be teaching. But there, but there, there are some that should not be teachers. And we should, you know, the, the old way that we do it as Baptists is we have a need. Let's grab the first person that, that, is, that is kind of uh, available. And let's jam them in that need no matter where they fit or not. we got these people all, you know, sort of messed up and crimped up and stuff because they're jammed in the wrong hole. They don't fit there. You know what that is? That's a recipe for disaster. Disaster on the person, on the part of the church asking someone to do what God has not called them to do. And then becoming frustrated and many times giving up and walking away. But also there's a disaster on the other side. Because there are, there are people that are going to hear them, quote, try to teach, and they're not going to be able to do it. So they're missing out. You say, well, then we won't have enough teachers. Well, as long as we approach it from you and I deciding who needs to be what and who needs to do what and what we need to do, we'll never have enough teachers. Don't you suppose, though, that if the Holy Spirit is moving us in an area of ministry, that the Holy Spirit already knows someone and is already preparing someone to do that ministry? Instead of us grabbing someone and jamming them in that hole. So we need to trust them on both sides, don't we? And sometimes we do ministry because we've seen somebody else do ministry. Or we've seen this happen in some other church. And it worked well in another church. It was a great idea in another church. So we transform that idea and we bring it into our church. And then it's no longer the Holy Spirit in control. That's why, you know, one of the things I... I and I, I love to read, so just to be very careful all these how-to books. So-and-so had a successful ministry in this area or that ministry, and so they write a book about it. A how-to book. And if you want to have a successful church, all you have to do is follow each step of this how-to book. Well, it may have worked for him, and praise God that it did work for him, but that doesn't mean it's going to work here. God wants us to listen to him. So we got to be careful that we don't assume that, that we have to be all these things. Because God wants us to know that he's appointed these within the church. And not everybody has to be this thing. And it's not, it would not even be good if everybody was. So where is he drawing us to in the concluding of, 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 of this little series that, that, that we've done here? And that's what he says. Look, look at verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the best. Now some translations say gifts. Other translations just stop with the word best. But regardless, the next phrase is a hugely important phrase. 
because it carries us to where God, I think, the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Always wants us to go. Look what he said. He said, and yet, in spite of all that he's already taught us, which is, again, to be functioning as the body of Christ, he says, yet I, I show you a more excellent way. The most important thing, the most crucial thing, that any properly, biblically functioning church needs to know and needs to understand. And he begins this, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. This most excellent way, the most excellent way. He says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not what? And have not what? I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Just as with anything else, defining it becomes crucial. Giving the proper biblical definition becomes crucial. Because if love is so essential, it is incumbent upon us to know what love is. And again, which voices are we listening to? Because you know the world has all kinds of definitions for love. And some of them have nothing to do with love at all. So if we're going to be the body of Christ, we must hear what God's definition of love is through his inspired word. So let's look, starting with verse 4. And let's look at his definition of love. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the time to explain these things. I'm just going to let this, the Holy Spirit to the word Lay these things on your heart. Because before I read these things, before you say that you love your church family and you love one another, would you let the Holy Spirit examine you and show you whether or not what you deem to be love is what's described here in the Word of God? If this is the most excellent way, this is very crucial. Here's what he says. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And one little phrase in verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. Now hear the words of your Savior. This is how men will know that you are my followers, my disciples. If you have love one for another these verses are tough not because of the wonderful message that they give because, but because that message hits me where I live and I don't love like this I don't love like this 
And I sometimes want to justify whether or not I love someone like this as to whether or not they love me like this. The approach of, well, when they get it right, then I'll do it right. And you know, in a church, that leads to dysfunction. Because as long as we're waiting on someone else to do something biblically right, that biblically right thing will never be done. Because all we're doing is waiting on someone else to get it right. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I could purely love that way. I'm going to tell you now, you can't. You can't. You say, well then why, why do it at all? It's a part of that being submissive to the Holy Spirit. And you may have some problems in some of these areas when it comes to love. But as long as we say something like, well, that's just not me. I, I just can't do that. As long as that, that's our approach. Then listen church, nothing will ever change. You're right, it's not you. And you're right, you can't do that. That again brings us to the need of a supernatural act of God in our lives. God, I can't love that way. Holy Spirit, help me to love that way. Now if you said that to him, and you actually meant that, let me tell you what I think he might even do for you. (coughs) You may not like what I'm about to tell you. What he may do for you is put before you not the people that you find easy to love right away but he might slap right in front of you that one face that one face that you have a big problem with it's easy to love those that you love Even the pagans do that. Even the unbelievers do that. It's quite another thing to see God work through you and work through me to love people that we can't love. That one face. You know what? When I was thinking about that, I don't know if He did it for you, but here's what the Holy Spirit did for me right then. He put that face right there. I, I, I guess he put that face right there because I won't look at anybody. Oh, he's talking about me. I get that all the time. Pastor, you're always looking at me when you make those points and stuff. The easiest person for me to look at is Roseanne. Stay right there. I had one, youth people tell me one time, I said, Pastor, you know, you make me uncomfortable because wherever I sit, I try to move and stuff, your eyes fall. And I said, Listen. I'm just like that picture in the haunted mansion. Wherever you go, my eyes are on you. I am convinced that Paul wanted this church to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and to see a breakthrough. I'm convinced, First Baptist, that God wants to see a breakthrough in this church. But I'm also convinced that it will not happen as long as as we resist the Holy Spirit even unto the place where we don't love now in many ways now listen to me I don't want this to seem like a doubt in many ways this church is filled with all kinds of love there's no doubt in my mind I've seen it 
in the eight plus years I've been here, I've seen love poured out in so many different ways in this church, and I'm so grateful for every, every expression of love that I've seen. But what I'm talking about now is me and you and you and you and you and you and you. If I could do all of you, I'd do it at a very personal place. Asking the Holy Spirit to examine us. Holy Spirit, am I resistant to your supernatural work within me that I might not love as you tell me? And look at Paul's final words there in chapter 13. Here's what he says. And now abide. And now is. And now these things are. Now abide. Faith. None of us would dispute the need for faith. Hope. Every one of us have our hope Hopefully, securely in Jesus Christ. And we, He is the hope of our salvation. And love. And the greatest of these, the greatest of these, is love. If I speak with the tongue of great men and glorious angels... And I don't love. If I'm not responsive to the Holy Spirit and surrender to the Holy Spirit, that He might demonstrate to me the child, a child of God, the love of God into someone else's life, into everybody's life, then all I am is a loud sounding, annoying symbol, clanging, just making noise. And I can do all kinds of good things, Paul says. Even give my body to be burned. But if I did that, absence of love, it's meaningless. God has called us to be a biblically functioning church. It cannot happen regardless of any and all ministries that come along and we're involved in. It cannot happen, regardless of, 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 of just merely our doctrine and our dogma, which, again, are important. It cannot fully happen unless we are people surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. And when that happens, when that happens, the greatest evidence that that has happened in our midst is that we will love and we will love biblically. And we will be the church that God has called us to be. Bow your head with me. Oh Jesus, we come to you this morning. And Lord, you know our hearts. And you know our struggles. And Father, you inspired the Apostle Paul to write this portion of the scripture that we've looked at for the last few weeks. And we've seen together that, that unless you are the center of everything that we are, we cannot possibly be the church. And we've seen that you have, by your grace and your mercy, you have bestowed gifts in the body of Christ. And it is your intent that, that though we are individuals, that we are to come together as one body, as diverse as we are, to be the church. 
And now, Lord, you've told us that you've appointed those in different positions and different ministries within the church so that your church might be everything you've called it to be. But you've reminded us of the most excellent way. The one thing that is crucial if we're going to be the church. And that's that we biblically love. And Lord, we confess to you that in our own self, in our own flesh, we cannot love that way. So Lord, I pray you find in this building here today people who will no longer resist the Holy Spirit. Christians, yes, Christians who will say, Holy Spirit, I turn my life over to you. My emotions, my feelings, my prejudices, my hatreds, I turn them over to you. So that the power of Christ might be manifest. And that so others might know that Jesus lives. So that others might come to a saving knowledge. Lord, help we the church not to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to anybody coming to faith. Give us your heart. Help us to trust you completely. Help us to be the body you intended for us to be. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? If you are here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior, and you would like to talk to somebody about that, I'm going to be here at the front. There will be some other gentlemen here at the front. They're here for one purpose. They want to hear what God is doing in your life, and they want to be able to point you once again to Christ. They just want to be able to pray with you and help you know who Jesus Christ is. So if you've never received Jesus, but you feel led to do that this morning, come, let us talk with you. Come, let us pray with you. Secondly, most of us here are believers. Most of us have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And most of us are not living every day surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So the call to we who know Jesus is a call back to who He is in our life. A call to no longer resist the Holy Spirit. To submit, to surrender to the Holy Spirit so we might walk in the power of God wherever He might take us. I encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit lays that that truth upon your heart. And you can do that right there where you're at. That's fine. You can come up here and be glad to pray with anybody who would like me to pray with them. Or you can grab someone else's hands and just say, would you pray with me about this? I want to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. I want to love. I want to walk in the power of God. Finally, if God's brought you here and He wants you part of this church family, you come. We'll receive you with open arms. And uh, we'll trust God as He leads you, as He's the leader in your life. We're going to sing, Grace that is greater than all our sin. No one comes, I'm going to close it out. But please, if God's speaking to your heart, either right there where you're at, or if you'd like someone to pray with you, be responsive to the Holy Spirit. Don't resist Him. Be responsive to Him right now.
ask you to be seated just for a moment before I dismiss you. I need to share something with you this morning. Um, I share with you this morning because I just heard about it this morning. And uh, it's kind of sad for me. It'd be sad for you too. But it's also a great opportunity. Uh, Danielle shared with me this morning that she has accepted a job in Texas. Which means that she will be, I know, that's how I feel, you know. That <laughs> uh, she will be she'll be going there. She really believes this is what God has for her life. She went there first to check it out, to make sure. And uh, she's already connected with the church there. So I know you as a church family are going to be praying for her. Uh, this will leave a big uh, hole for particularly our children's ministry and stuff. So... Uh, don't rush in there and try to fill that hole by yourself very quickly, please. We want to be responsive. And we want to pull together, particularly in the area with our children. And some of you may not even know who Janelle is because she's always with the children. And she is working with our children's ministry and stuff. So um, I share this with you this morning because I found it this morning. She's leaving this afternoon. So she she's going to be in, in, in Texas for... A, at least 18 months is what the commitment is. Commitment is there and stuff. So I know you as a church family will. You'll, you, she'll be here. To, she's with the kids right now. So if you see her, you might want to hug her neck because she'll be out of here. I understand she'll be here back Christmas time. So you'll get to see her. She'll get to see her in and out and stuff. But uh, just pray for this area of ministry for our church. Pray. You know, if God has taken her somewhere else, then God has something that He has for us here. So uh, we want to be responsive what God wants to do and uh, pray for God to use her in a great way there and pray for what God wants to do here in Fountain Hills particularly in the area of ministering to our children alright so I'm going to ask you to stand with me now John I'm going to ask you to come and take the microphone and pray as we're dismissed here today please Thank you.